Welcome back to the Black Belter Podcast. You're listening to episode 38. Today's guest is Tony Stevenson. Tony is one of the best kickboxers Ireland has ever produced, particularly in light contact. Tony is a multiple times WACO World and European Champion, both as a junior and as a senior. He was also part of the Team GB Taekwondo team for a number of years, before going back to kickboxing and being just as successful as before. It all sounds wonderful, but through all the success, Tony has had his ups and downs, which he talks about on the show. I have to say I really enjoyed chatting and hearing Tony's story, and I hope you enjoy it too. Make sure to like, share and subscribe, and let me know you're listening on social media. So, let's get into it. So what's up Tony, how are you? Very good, how are you? I'm all good, I'm all good. And getting through the boredom of, of isolation that and uh, hope, hopefully we'll be back to training soon. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh geez, I'm looking forward to getting back to training, all right. Uh, trying to keep myself busy in the day, you know, that's the, that's the challenge. Yeah, well, hopefully, hopefully on the back end of it and that everything is going to start to go back to normal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, geez, uh, I'd say from what I've heard, it'll be September before, like, classes and stuff are back on you know probably be september i'm hoping it'll be sooner but i've heard september yeah I think, september. Just... I think september as well will be the will be when we actually get back which um like that hopefully we get back training ourselves and then the classes and um, we'll be back in september yeah i miss sparring like this is you can get so far on shadow boxing and bag work but you just miss miss sparring you know hitting other people that's it yeah <laughs> yeah it'll be a shock though it'll be a shock not getting hit in five six months and then going back and then getting punched in the nose it'll be a bit of a shock you know yeah like but um how did you so actually uh, to start this was like how did you get uh, started in kickboxing um so uh i um i guess i, I got started really young uh I think it was six years old, six, seven years old. Um, and I joined with my brother, uh, my younger brother and my older sister. And um, my, my dad pretty much uh, took us there. Uh, he knew Ian Kingston, my kickboxing trainer, um, who's been my trainer now uh, 22 years. Um, we went down to train with him and my dad knew him from doing security work years ago. And uh, I had a bit of a stammer problem, so I was like, um, I had a bit of a, an issue when uh, I got, I got, I was younger. I got bullied, and not by who you think it wasn't by another um, student or anything. It was actually by the teacher, the headmaster. He was, a, he was a pretty, um, pretty horrible guy. He wasn't very patient to me at all, uh, with me at all. And um, I was only in his class for a year, and I developed this really bad stammer and stutter. And um, my dad said, "Okay, you know." Uh, we're going to pull you out of that school and I'm going to get you doing martial arts, something that's going to really pick up your confidence. And um, so within a year of doing kickboxing, my stammer left me and uh, I, I became a whole lot more confident. And then I wasn't any good at all. Um, my sister was probably the best when we started. My brother was the most eager for sparring and I was somewhere not talented, but I enjoyed it. I enjoyed challenge, the challenge. Like, and then it was about four or five years into it, I actually started getting kind of good and I started doing a few of the tournaments. Um, so I say the, the reason, the real reason behind why I went is just for a bit of confidence and to learn a bit of um, uh, just, you know, um, discipline and that, you know, same as most kids step into martial arts, you know, uh, th those are the big reasons. 
Um, I only really started seeing it as a proper competitive sport, you know, in my early teens then, you know, but before that I was learning really important life lessons and I, I still do to this day, to be fair. Like, um, but it, it was, it was mainly for confidence. Yeah. Do you think you do you think the fact that you had a, a brother and sister going along to the, the same club at the same time helped to help to keep you going as well? Yeah, it made things way easier. I think I still would have gone if they didn't go. Um, but the thing about it for us was um and my dad was so invested as well. My dad wasn't a guy that just dropped us off at the hall and then went into the van and read the newspaper or went off and did the shopping. My dad would come in and sit in the hall and he would almost like uh, critique now he sometimes might have seemed to overstep the mark like you know I was thinking he might be a bit of a coach but he knew his stuff though too he did a bit of kickboxing as well but um he would watch all our training sessions he would drive us down all the time and in the van on the way home we have like this ritual we'd always have uh, a bit of the the horrible yellow leucozade the stuff that's really bad for your teeth and we had some wine gums as well and we always had them on the way home but we'd always have a, a dialogue about the training and how we went on and and what we did well and so my dad was really invested in our training and we when we went home we could talk about it it's not like i've seen it now with some other kids that i train where you know the parents do support them and they drop them in and stuff but like the kid would go oh i caught so and so the spinning hook kick to the face and the dad's like is that good is that good well, well done yeah that's really good no my dad like he knew his stuff and he knew how we were doing in training. He was very clued in. So we had the support behind us that was just uh, there from the get-go and it really kept us all going for a long time. My sister my sister had to stop at the age of 17, nearly 18, because of um, uh, problems relating to her having seizures. So she couldn't fight anymore. My brother stayed at it and then he went on to box for the Marines. He still boxes for the Marines. And then um, we had two younger brothers, Owen and Finton, that stayed at it pretty much until they were in there. I think it was like 18, 19. Uh, and then I, I still obviously compete as well. So we, we stuck at it for a very long time. And um, I would put that down to the main factor being my dad and Ian being such a, a great coach, you know, yeah. really tremendous coach. Funny, funny enough, I totally think it makes a, some of it makes a big difference because I remember when I would have started in Taekwondo, like that, my dad would have, especially the early years, would have always sat down in the back of the class. And I remember when we came home, we'd spend 30, 30, 40 minutes nearly redoing the class, nearly just going over what, what we had done in the class. Because like that, my dad would sit down, he'd listen to what Adrian, my coach, was saying, uh, the way it was supposed to be done. And he'd have a look and try and see, did it look the same way that my coach was doing it? So, and that's it. So then you go back the next day and it would be better. And I think that's, it's big like, like that, that it's not just you turn up to the club and you, you do the session and that's it. Then you go home and the next, you don't think about it till the next day you come in. It's, it, you know, you're thinking about it at home and it helps so much to improve. Oh, it does. It's just having that dialogue at home uh, is so good. Like now saying that though, there were days there where we're around the dinner table and myself, my father, my brother and sister and the two younger ones were all talking about kickboxing. And my mom was just kind of like sat there like going, can we talk about something else, please? You know, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, um, but, uh, it, it, it's, it was so like, uh, and, and there was a time as well where I didn't want to do it anymore. Uh, I was 11 and, um, I remember, I don't know what was going on with me that week, but I remember going, I'm sick of this. I'm sick of doing push-ups. I'm sick of doing this. And I just, ugh, I, I hate it. And I remember going to my dad going, cause I think a few of my friends had quit some of their sports before and they jumped into something else. And maybe I was trying to edge into that as well. And, I think it was badminton or something. I wanted to try that. I was like, oh, I don't want to do this anymore, dad. I'm sick of this and blah, blah, blah. And my dad was like, no. I was like, what do you mean? No. 
It was like, no. Is like, I know what's best for you. You're going to thank me one day for sticking in the sport and you're not going to go and quit and do something else. And uh, obviously I argued with him. His job wasn't to be my friend then. It was to be a good dad that made me into a good person who helped me steer into the right choices. And he obviously did. And it was a, I look back at that moment and go, wow, that was a really... That could have been a real pivotal moment in my life if I made the if 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 I didn't have a stronger person behind me, and it would have been very easy for him to go. Well, you know, I don't have to pay for your classes, and then I don't need to drive you down all the way to Bantry every day, every other day. So, you know what? Yeah, you can quit kickboxing. He could have been one of those dads, but he didn't. And um, I owe my whole life to that positive decision that my dad made. Like, I've got so much from my sport. I've, I'm fit. I'm strong. I've got a job. I made so many good friends. Um, it's made me a stronger person. I have a partner from it, uh, and now I have a child from that partnership. You know, so um, it, it's just, it's just. Um, I have so much to owe for that one moment that my dad stood up, and he, he was really a good dad at that point. And um, it, it, it really shaped my whole life. Then, you know. Yeah, I think sometimes you probably even see yourself as too much. Like you said, those reasons. I don't have to drive. I don't have to drive you the money I'll save and it's kind of if they don't want to do it so I'm not going to force them but sometimes yeah. you need to force them you do you do they do need to kick up the hole sometimes and um, uh, like one thing is you know do you coach as well do you yeah, do a bit yeah. of coaching yeah with yeah. Parents. so you, you get to meet, you get to meet all parents that come in the door and I can almost tell straight away how far their talent is going to take them on their own but really a big part of being successful long term over the long run of a like a career you know of um it is the parents like how the parents are with them and supporting them because you could have a really good kid and they could have um like loads of talent and ability but they'll have a day when they don't want to do it or and they need the support they'll need their rock their structure behind them and the parent won't be there and they'll they'll quit and they'll quit on something that was so good for them um uh, and i see it all the time and now the other side to that is you can get pushy parents you can get these parents that are like you know they're over the top and they put serious pressure on them and the next thing is they don't want to do it anymore because they feel that it's not enjoyable anymore and i i kind of see that sometimes i don't want to be like uh putting people in boxes or anything but a lot of the irish parents i see a lot of them i would say 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 60 to 70 percent of them would go oh this is my johnny he wants to give it a go and that's fine that's perfectly grand but then i might see someone like a really intense parent from one of the Eastern Bloc countries and they'd be like, I want you to take my son. I want you to make him a fighter. I want you to make him a strong And it's like, oh man, two different, completely different kind of parents, you know? And, uh, you know, it could go wrong in one, if you lean too far on one side and not enough on the other. And uh, so you need a balance. Like you need to know when to step back and ease off them. And you, you need to know when they need to kick up the hole at those times as well and, and really keep them going, you know? Yeah, I suppose it's a, you need that goalie locks effect just just right. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, did um, you, so did you do any other sports when you were growing up as a kid? Was it just yeah, I did. I did. No, no, I did soccer. My dad was a soccer coach. I did soccer. Um, I was a good swimmer. It was the only other sport I would say that I was good. Like I, I wasn't naturally good at kickboxing. It took me a while to develop into that. But I was good. I was a good swimmer. Um, I did GAA, um, I did um, a, bit, a bit of boxing then, coming into my teens. Um, what else did I do? There's a few other little things I did. I did a bit of rugby as well. 
Um, but it was always mainly kickboxing. I think, I think when I came to about, I think it was 13, 14, I had to make that decision. Do I keep going with soccer or do I keep going with kickboxing? And I would think I was leaning more towards kickboxing anyway because I just got accepted onto the national team then anyway. So I was like, yeah, I want to do this. Um, and then I did boxing for a while and that helped my hands. And then uh, in the last three years, then I've been doing jujitsu, which, uh, which is amazing. It's a breath of fresh air now as well. I'm gone right back to being a white belt. So I have this new understanding for, you know, that new kid, that new person that steps into the class and wants to learn, you know, so I'm, I've got a mindset of a white belt now again, which is really cool to have and helps me really see things through the eyes of my students now a bit more as well, you know? Do you feel, yeah, so do you feel that helps? Do you feel that helps your, your teaching? It does. Um, it's really good for, like I find it's just, it's just really good. It's just another feather to your cap, isn't it? But I really enjoy it. Like I wholeheartedly enjoy it. A lot of people go into jujitsu to go and step into MMA, but I really love jujitsu for what it is and uh, on its own. Um, and it's just, it's just healthy to learn something new. I think it just, you know, um, just learn, have that other skill. Like I'm, I'm not, I don't take it nearly as seriously as kickboxing. I would say it's definitely more of a hobby, but I do every now and again, let my obsessive side that I have in kickboxing kind of creep into jujitsu. And, you know, I spend hours and hours on one particular technique that I really want to learn and watch over videos again and again. But I think that that's just because I love it so much. Yeah. But then you need a healthy obsession more so I think is what it is, isn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and like, I'm not just one person that would just obsess over one thing, really. I'm like, if I got into a really good book, I would obsess over that book or a good TV show or whatever it is. So, like, I kind of just sink into what I'm doing or what I'm paying attention to. Do you know what I mean? Um, but as long as I have a, like a general first spark of interest, I'll, I'll tend to stick at it, like most people, really. You know? Yeah. So then, when you kind of first got onto the national team, was would that have been a, competing as a, as a junior? Yeah, yeah. So I was, uh, I think, it was fourteen. Um, yeah, uh, I was, um, I was training with the Irish team a year before that on some of the training camps. But then I joined the team then the year after that, and I've pretty much been on the team since then. Obviously, I, I took a break then when I was was it twenty two, and uh, I joined the um, GB Olympic Taekwondo program out in Manchester. But every other year by those years, I was I was on the. I was on the team and yeah, it was, it was really good. Uh, obviously I got the best spars in the country. Um, um, I got to, um, you know, meet other coaches and learn other things. And it was, it was just, um, it was a really good transitional period in my life when I got to kind of go from treating it more like a serious hobby into, you know, okay, this is my passion now. This is how I define myself, you know? And would you have, did you, were you, were you successful straight away once you stepped onto the national team or was there a couple of years where, it took you to kind of increase your level to be able to win medals? Um, no, actually, I was successful straight away. Um, I was really lucky in that regard because um, I wasn't in my first few competitions ever, period. But my first time international was 2005 and I won. And then I won 2006. And then 2007, I got silver. But like, uh, I, Ian, my trainer, he, he keyed in on one thing I was really good at. And we really made that very, very sharp, very formidable move. Uh, he gave me like a really good front leg weapon. So that was a problem straight away from most fighters to get around. Like we start at distance. I have a distance way of controlling. It's up to them to get around it. So I imposed that really well when I was a young teenager. As I got older, fighters got smarter as well. So I had to up my game again. And uh, like I definitely had tournaments I lost in 
nationally, but when it came to the international, Ian always had me really ready and really sharp, and um, I, I knew what to do, you know, at the right time. So I, Ian was very good at making me peak at the right time, and uh, he he didn't make me into a one-trick pony as well. Like so, he would always be adding stuff to my game, and I'd be getting really really good spars down in my club. You know, there would be guys coming up as well with me, so it wasn't just me, 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 it was like my brother and my sister, you know, uh, Aidan Kingston, Connor Pullen, you know, all these guys, they'd all be going up as well and improving. So we'd all kind of like uh, improve together and we'd be bouncing off each other doing test matches and stuff. So we were always tested and Ian kept putting things in front of us like, okay, fitness tests and checking our weight and um, getting test matches organized. So Ian, Ian was really good at getting us ready and prepped for the right time in the year, you know? Yeah. And I know... I know Ian's, Ian's club there is mostly like contact, would you have, but would you have tried out points at, uh, at any point in time? I did. I did points when I was uh, 15. So in 2006, I actually won. Um, I won the cadet, an uh, older cadet world title in points. I never kept it. I didn't keep it going after that. I think Ian was trying to steer me into continuous. Um, so, so yeah, I, I didn't stick at it for too long. Like, you know, we're, we're a continuous club, you know, and um, we, um, we we don't really specialize in points. But we like myself, I would still go in and fight well enough in points. I wouldn't be completely uh, overwhelmed, I think, by, well, maybe I would now at this point. I don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, the last big time I really did points properly and seriously was 2006. And, um, you know, that was long time ago after that it's always been continuous so yeah we, we were mainly continuous clubs so that's where we were going anyway you know yeah and did you did you find much of a transition from like that from junior to senior or again would you have been successful straight away stepping in as a senior yeah i don't mean to toot my own horn but i was actually successful going from junior to senior again i won uh 2009 i won the europeans at 63 kg and then stepping into adults um now I was like, there was a lot of things wrong with my game that year. Cause I was really exposed. Like as a junior, I was comfy, but, uh, when I went into, I remember it was Villach in Austria. I went to compete in the world championships in 2009 and, um, they were just really strong guys. Like there was a bit of a shock getting hit by a guy, your own weight as a kid, as a, you know, a junior is one thing, but then when they're an adult and they're fully grown and they've developed muscle and they've got that much more snap to their shots it, it kind of was like whoa um but again i had a style that kind of really suited me and it was you know people still found it difficult to get around um it was messy it wasn't clean like it wasn't like a clean good win like looking back at it it was all over the place but i still managed to win on all my fights on points and i won senior the next year i fought better than that and then the next year i actually lost it was the first big um loss of my senior career so if you're talking about wacko's um european and worlds up until 2012 there was only two fights i ever lost and that was one in 2007 like i said in the final which was a bit questionable but then in 2011 i really lost i, I went out there not ready i went out there with an injury i had sponsorship for the first time that year so i really was compelled to fight and um it was actually really funny because I remember it was Russia round one. I went in there. I had a really dodgy knee. And I remember Ian, my trainer, was in the corner. But Thomas Browder sat down next to Ian. <laughs> and Thomas normally likes to sit down with the guys he thinks he's going to win and coach and stuff. And he likes to be around the winners. And I'd won the two years before that. 
and I stepped into the 69 kg division that year. And uh, I remember him going, okay, you need to keep this guy away with your front leg now. And I just remember turning around and taking my gum shield out and going, I can't, my knee's banjaxed, I can't kick at all. And I just remember him going, well, like seeing it on his face, like, I don't want to be here. <laughs> I don't want to be sat next to, to your coach to watch you uh, lose, you know. Uh, and I did lose. It was really close. I made my knee a whole lot worse because uh, I did try and kick him in the end. But uh, it was the one big stain I had on my uh, my whole career. It was the first and the only time I ever lost first round in the Wackos. Um, but, yeah, no, the transition from junior to senior was, yeah, it was tough. Like, it took me a few years to really get the feet underneath me and understand the power behind their shots and work with and, and fight seniors regularly, you know? Yeah. Do you feel that there was maybe even a bit of, a bit more like mental pressure? Like they said, the first year you had sponsorship and you hadn't lost in a bit of time. Or do you think it was mostly down to yeah, injury? Yeah, yeah. That one year, 2011, was a weird one because it was the first real injury I had. Like that took me out months and months out of training. Um, but as in going from um, junior to senior the first time in 2009, yeah, yeah. Like I was, I had this like book like a notes that I, I wrote down and I read religiously and it helped me get into the frame of mind. I, I'm always weakest in my first fights, uh, my first fight of every tournament. But usually by the end, I've won a few fights. I've got a real confidence behind me and I've got this real focus and grit. Um, and I just found that I had that in my last fight. Now, I've only really figured that out in the last few years, why and how to tap into that and get that out of me in my first fights. But um, uh you, if I was, I remember a fella said to me, he said, like, if you're going to lose any fight at the Wackos, it's going to be your first fight, really, um, because that's when you perform at your weakest. And he was right. And, um, yeah, yeah, just just learning as you go, I suppose. And what would that, what kind of, what sort of notes would that would have been in that would have been in that book? Would it have been anything tactical or would it have been more like mental, mental, mental thoughts or? No, Ian, Ian would be purely tactical from what he would tell me. I'd have nothing written down on tactics. It would all be mental. So what was written down mentally was um, it, it was more like a guide of learning to accept things for what they are like. So it was a big thing on um, understanding that winning and losing isn't ultimately up to you. Like you can influence it, but it's not up to you. Like um, you could do your absolute best and have your best fight and still lose. And it's important to be happy over that. And it was like, actually taking a step back and looking about what things you can control. So before I would stress about who's watching, who's recording me, what my opponent can do, what the referee is like, is he favorable to, you know, whatever, or is he going to be hard on me for this tactic or whatever? And then the judges and, and I, it's more like stepping back and go, okay, what can I actually can control? And, um, when you write it down and you understand, look, this is what you can influence and this is how you can make it ultimately your best chance of winning uh, it became a whole lot more relaxing so like um i think it came down to three things it was like listen to ian uh with um enjoy myself and um do my best perform my best because i can't control what the other judges do i can't control my other fighter my opponent and uh once i started understanding and focusing on the elements i can control i tended i tend to put in better performances than other days yeah I think like in a sport like that, like and even taekwondo is, it's like you said, you can you can have your best performance and still not win because like 
like you said, you can't uh, you can't essentially knock the guy out. So it's like you know, in others maybe like an MMA or boxing, if you leave the guy unconscious, well then you're clearly the winner. But when it comes down to judges and other stuff, it can be out of your control. So it sometimes it oh, just, just comes down to on the day. Now I suppose you would maybe like to think that you know it comes down to a little bit more than just on the day because like otherwise what are you training for? Like, do you just turn up? But I suppose you have to put yourself in position to win and all that and put yourself through the hard training. But at the end of the day, sometimes it does just come down to on the day. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, just being as ready as you can be and um, putting your best foot forward. Visualization goes an awful long way as well. If you can do that, uh, that's something I I did as well an awful lot of is visualization. Like if you, if you, if you put yourself in there and you're on the mat and you're, you're seeing everything and you're, you build it into your shadow sparring. By the time you step in front of that person, you've been there so many times before in your head, your body doesn't know the difference. Like, so like you'd have that spike in adrenaline, but you know, you've been there before and you're ready and this is nothing new to you. So that was a big thing as well. Getting me ready for my fights. Um, uh, you know, and like, I mean, one guy told me before, like, Oh, this is cause when I was in GB Taekwondo, my boss would always compare us to the, um, the cycling team, you know, the British cyclists were the, the best in the world, you know, they've won the most medals and stuff. And, and uh, this is what they contribute to. And this is how they think before they go in. And I would sometimes disagree with how he goes about saying it and their thought process, because it might work for them in their sport. And it's, you know, like if you've got someone who who's just running in a straight line, you know, they've got a hundred meter sprint to go and they got to get themselves completely ready mentally. It's, it's still, you know, person next to you, they don't go into your lane necessarily. You know, it's you against the elements. It's not, it's not, it's not like you're tactically against someone who can move this way and do this and hit you. And like, so when you're, when you're in a sport where it's you against the elements, like a sprint, a straight sprint. Yeah. Then the little tiny, tiny, tiny things might count. But I think in a sport like, boxing or kickboxing or taekwondo there's so many different variables so many different variables that can influence the winning and losing process so i think you have to make it simpler for a sport like kickboxing and you might want to think more in depth then and maybe a little bit more complicated on the little things than on the the, the, the 100 meter sprint you know what i mean yeah 100 percent. yeah like yeah because yeah there's just so many moving parts in a sport like that Whereas, like you said, if you're if you're a sprinter, if you're a cyclist, it doesn't. If you if you cycle or you run your best time, then then that's 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 what counts, is to some degree. If it, and then yeah. if that if that happens to be the fastest, then that's great. But uh, it doesn't it doesn't work out like that in our sports. No, no. Um, yeah, like I said, it's just too many too many variable factors. Um, you know. Um, but uh, that that's that's why I love it so much. You know, yeah. and you can go, you know, you, you can go in there with one mindset and leave with another. You can go in there with an injury, fight your best and your heart out. You could lose, but you could be some of my fighters that have fought or competed, some of their best fights they've lost. And uh, I, I always remind them that, you know, you're going to go through these days. You're going to go through these days where you lose. And um, it, it's how you approach the losing process. Um, that will that will drive you on. That will make you better, because uh, definitely a lot of people out there when they lose, they think that's it, and they're very hard on themselves. And there's coaches that like to assess straight away. So I had a coach like that as well when I was um, doing taekwondo. It was uh, I would I would lose, and then straight away on the side of the mat, he'd be telling me what I did wrong and asking me questions, and I'd be like, I just want distance from what just happened, and I need to 
clear my head and assess myself. I don't want to be looking at it when I'm emotional after I've lost. I'm pissed off that I lost. Um, so it's not a good time to go evaluating yourself then and evaluating your performance, you know? Yeah, I suppose that's, that's some bit part, part of the art of coaching, isn't it? Like being able to read the athlete that, you know, I suppose some athletes maybe like to analyse the performance straight away. Others like to be left and maybe soak it in and, re- and analyse it with a clear head. So it comes down to, it's up to the coach to kind of recognise that. Yeah, um, I remember uh, we had a guy in our club who was fighting and um, he would always need to kick up the hole before he fought. He would need to be, um, you know, Ian would need to get into his face almost and be like, all right, you know, you need to do this. And, you you know, it'd take him almost around to really get into it or he'd be a good hard shot before he he would start really thinking and going, oh yeah, this is a fight, I better go to work. Whereas people like myself and Lily, Lily Delacour, we would be going in there probably thinking a bit too much and we would need to be calmed a little bit more. And that, that Ian, Ian was really good at approaching us in that way. Um, I remember in 2010, I had this um, really important fight. I was in the final against Russia. It was going to be a tough fight. And um, I think the fight was going to be delayed by two hours and we were all warm and ready to go. And I was in fight mode then, but I didn't need to be because if I stayed in fight mode for two hours, I'd burn myself out mentally. So I remember Ian just sat down with me and talked to me about everything that wasn't kickboxing, food, girlfriends, movies, absolute shite. And he took my head away from where I was and completely relaxed me. And then 15 minutes again before we were to go on, he would switch it on and talk to me again about tactics and uh, I think that's a sign of a good coach when you can read your fighter get in their head and get them to that right place on the day yeah and you mentioned like you, you practice some visualization and stuff like that would you have worked with a sports psychologist or was that something maybe you read or watch videos on that you kind of did a bit of self-learning with or yeah with some professional I had um like with GB Taekwondo they had their own um uh, psych coach very knowledgeable, very good. Um, in Ireland, uh, when I was doing kickboxing prior to that, I had a really good, um, uh, I guess he would be a psych coach as well. Um, his name's Caleb, brilliant, brilliant guy. Um, like he's, I don't think he has a huge qualification, but he's just read an awful lot about the stu- subject and he knows, he, he knows an awful lot, a lot, an awful lot more than me. And um, he started off with me as like a kind of a strength and conditioning coach, but I, I was more interested in what he knew about the mental side. And uh, he would always break things down very, very easy for me to understand. And um, he really helped shape my way of um, thinking and how I mentally was approaching fights. Um, you know, and a big thing he, he, he talked about was um, understanding you can't control your thoughts. And when people say, just think positively, he knew that it was bullshit. You know, he knew that that was nonsense. Because if I said to you now, um, don't think of a pink elephant, what are you going to think about? Yeah, you're going to think of the pink elephant. You are, of course. And um, he knew that everyone goes through this, especially when you're in fight mode or flight mode, you're, you're nervous, you're thinking about things, you know, your, your brain is a muscle and it's, it's firing fast. And, um, he helped me understand that these, these are normal, anything and everything can pop into your head, doubts and insecurities and what you did last week and all this stuff that doesn't matter right now. And, um, he kind of really explained things that look, this is normal. You know, people, this is just your brain, 
uh, over overworking and you just need to calm it down and the same way you calm down your heart rate by just breathing and relaxing so a big thing was talking to yourself you know positive affirmations and stuff like that and um and get it like if you can talk about it you can direct your thinking towards that and like almost seeing negative thoughts as a bus bus like this is the way he described it like imagine it's a bus a thought comes by and you're thinking before you fight and you go nope that's not my bus that's not my thought i don't need that so you just let it go so the thing wasn't about controlling it it was just about accepting it and letting it pass and try and refocus on um, what I needed to do by talking about tactics or positive affirmations and doing that over and over again. It's like you brainwash yourself into getting mentally prepared for the state of mind you need to be in. Um, so Caleb was really good in that regard and he broke things down very easy for me to understand. And a lot of the stuff that he talks about, um, I, like I get him to coach my students my um young guys and i get him doing um like mental fitness talks with them and even some of the stuff he comes out with now i'm still going wow that's a really good way of thinking about it you know a lot of the stuff he talks about has been said before but he delivers it in a way that's so easy and it's you know it, it just clicks with you do you know what i mean yeah i suppose yeah that, that that's what that's, that's what you need really is somebody to break it down simple and like I suppose like there's nothing new and you can hear it's how many different ways can you hear the same thing like it's to try and find the one that kind of clicks with you I suppose and resonates and makes sense for you that's it I, I could teach my guys something and I could be saying the same thing over and over again for eight weeks and then I have Ian Kingston to come over and he would say it the same thing but in a slightly different way and it would click with all of them and go wow okay that's a much better way of putting it than than I did and now it just it sits with them and 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 um that's the amazing thing about coaching um you know not one person has got all the answers for all the students you need to kind of encourage them to uh, work with other people a little bit as well you know one main coach but you have a load of other guys that can influence them as well and um having those influencers those positive influences in their life like um i can't remember who told me this but he said you're you anyone any one person are a product of the top five most the, top, the closest five people in their life do you know so like if you're around um four assholes your chances are you're going to be the fifth you know or if you're surrounded by five guys or five teammates that are just so positive and supportive and lovely and 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 um cheerful you're going to take on um a little bit of what each of them have you know and um that that's why the best teams out there they all gel so well yeah and success breeds success, that kind of sort of stuff, that positive mindset breeds that positive mindset. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And so you've mentioned a couple of times already your time with uh, GB Taekwondo. How did that kind of come about? So I I won um, everything I needed to win in kickboxing uh, in uh, 20... So between 20, 2009 and 2012, I won two Europeans and one Senior Worlds. And... I, I won it all very early and I came home and I remember 2009 I won, I was still doing my leaving cert and I remember coming home and just, there was no, there was no, th nothing was made of it and I was a bit disappointing because I put my heart and soul into it and I was still very young and I remember go, coming back and I, I was in Matt's class and my teacher goes, where's your work? I was like, Oh, I was away in Austria for the last week. And, and, um, 
you know, I didn't have a chance. And she's like, oh, what were you doing? I was, oh, I was doing kickboxing. Remember, I told you. And I won gold for Ireland. This is such a big deal. And first uh, Irish guy to do it in continuous ever, I think. And um, she goes, all right, well done. But do you have your homework done? No. Oh, okay, you'll need to catch up in detention. So I was kind of felt like, ah, oh, what? So when I came home, there was a... Uh, there was always a big deal made of the local football team or the local rugby team or whatever, but there was um, there was nothing for kickboxing. Like you, ju- you, I remember going in the parade and down the Bantry St. Patrick's Day parade, and I remember one person was clapping for me, going, "Well done on your karate boxing." And I'm like, "Okay, this is this is annoying, you know." And um, so I was like, "Okay, what can I do to show these fuckers, you know, how good I am and, 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 and get that notoriety. And it was a very, um, it was a very, uh, um, childish way of thinking. But again, I was, I was basically a big kid. I was, I was only, um, I was only just turned 18. Uh, I, I was just a giant boy really. And I, I said, okay, I want to go to the Olympics. That's the next step for me. I want to go to the Olympics. I want to get a gold medal. I want to show everyone, uh, who I am and Irish team. I went and joined the Irish team. Uh, and did a training camp with the Irish team. I did really well. But to go to the tournaments with the Irish team, they're not funded. So they were like, oh, you need to do this, 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 and this competition, and it's going to cost like six, seven grand to do. And I'm like, oh, my God, like to get sponsorship that much money, and it'd be very tough, and I want to also go to college. And so that wasn't going to happen. And uh, so I was a bit dismayed. And I went back, I was doing a little bit of kickboxing and I was also training with a club out in the UK called Team Blue Blood. And there was a fella on their team, Darren Chapman, who was trying out for the Olympic Taekwondo team out there at the time. And I was like, oh, okay, this is interesting. And how did this come about? Well, the game in Taekwondo at the time had changed. So they were doing, um, they, they just changed the rules in 2008 about, I think it was headshots were now three points instead of one. And they introduced Bluetooth body sensors and stuff like this. And so front leg kickers are winning and doing really well. So they were looking to new styles to bring on into their academy out in the UK because they noticed that the front leg game was winning and who had the best front legs in the world. Well, it wasn't necessarily their guys. They were very good at spins and doubles and triples and 360s, but um, not a whole pile of them, bar Paul Green, I would think, had um, a really good front leg game. But if you look at ITF and points fighters and kickboxers, there's a lot of guys who had really good front leg control, you know? So this is what they did. They did a fighting chance, they call it fighting chance program. So they invited other martial arts, even their own WTF to come in to do a bit of, it was like a trials. So the first week was like you fight another guy, like another guy from another kind of sport, like ITF or kickboxing, you fight, but under their WTF rules. And then you did like how many kicks you can do in a minute and how flexible you are. And they checked your weight and all this other stuff. And they did it like that. And they did it in like three, three phases. And I remember Darren was going to do one. And I remember going and watching him and going, geez, I could do this. And, you know, I have a British passport. I was born in the UK. So I was like, okay. Um, and I got my the, the English coach who was training with at the time, Avender, who was um, who was in charge of the Blue Blood team. I got him to write a letter, I think it was, to Paul Green. And they said, look, the weight division for you, the trials have been closed. So they said, look, you can't do this trials with the 68 kg division, but you can try and go in with the heavyweights. I said, 
I'll fight anyone. Fine, I'll do it and see how I get on. I went over and I fought with the bigger lads and I won my first match. And they were really impressed with me. And they invited me back. And um, and then I think it was for the second trial, it was like um, two fights and more questions and interviews and weight checking and stuff like that. And then I did well in that too. And then it came to the third trial. And the third trial was... Um, you train with them for a week. So I went out there to live over there like for a week in Manchester. And there was a huge pot of us. There was a, you know, a featherweight group, a lightweight group, and, um, you know, the, all the way up. And the, they did it with the girls as well. And we all trained together and we trained with their coaches. And they thought, okay, how coachable is each fighter? And, you know, how well, blah, blah, blah. And there were all these different factors. And in the end, I had three fights and I won two and I lost the last one. And, um, they, they, I got the invite, so I think it was around August then, 2013, I got the nod and they said, look, you know, you can make your way over to Manchester now. We have a house and we have a kit for you and everything else and a wage. So I was like, wow, okay, they pay for my flights, they pay for my accommodation, they pay for everything and all I have to do is train. So it was a, it was a dream come true for me. And uh, so I went there going, yeah, I'm going to smash this and I'm going to, I'm going to get my gold medal and I'm going to get this fame that I crave and I'm going to do so well. So I went over to Manchester and um, yeah, it was not what I thought it would be. I, I really enjoyed the training and it made me a much better kicker, but it was really ruthless. The training was really like, um, we would almost do test matches every week and it was, um, it, it was really tough like that. And I love that. Um, I got an awful lot of in injuries along the way and I won, I won, um, uh, two, I won the Greek open. I got a bronze in Luxembourg and then I got a bronze in the Commonwealth games. I got knocked out actually in the semifinals. Um, so like uh, one thing I found about me was I wasn't as adaptable to that sport as I thought I might. So I was really structured in kickboxing and I had learned so many good things for kickboxing that were bad habits for uh, WTF Taekwondo, for Olympic Taekwondo. And I found it was very hard to get out of those old habits. And um, I just didn't win enough. And I just wasn't good enough, plain and simple. Um, and, you know, I was a very big fish in a small pond in kickboxing. But, you know, going into Olympic Taekwondo was another step up again. And um, like I did well and I was, I'd definitely make a good club fighter, but getting to the Grand Prix and uh, World and European Championships for selection wasn't going to happen for me. Although I did improve and I, I really did my best, it wasn't enough. And um, so I, I realized, I think it was sometime in 2000 and late 2015 that I wasn't, there wasn't going to be a chance that I would get to um, Rio. It wasn't going to happen. I didn't have enough Olympic ranking points. Um, none of the 68 fighters actually were good enough to go, which was a bit, um, which is a bit disheartening really. Um, so none of us were going to go and I had to make the decision if I'm going to stay on for 2020. And I was, uh, I was, um, geez, what was I? I was 25 at the time. And I was like, okay, do I want to do this for another four years? And on the chance I might go to the Olympics. I was like, I don't know. Um, and I had a girlfriend back home and I had my trainer Ian as well. And, and uh, there was an awful lot of things I was missing. I was missing my old sport and I was, you know, I, I was really missing that. One thing though, that was a positive light to me was um, before the Rio Olympics, there was a few foreign teams that came to go and compete with us. And they knew that none of the 68 male competitors were going to the Olympics. So it was almost like they were using us 
to train without having to worry about coming up against us in Rio. So all of the 68s bar myself were injured at the time. And I remember I got put training with um, this Jordanese player. Uh, so he came all the way from Jordan and two of them, actually, there was himself and another training partner. And then there was a few Koreans and a few Cuban guys. So I got to training with all these guys, but it was mainly this Jordanese guy that I was training with. And I was going, wow, this guy's really good. And there was a few times where I got the better of him and we were fairly matched. And I knew he was going to the Olympics, but I knew he would be coming up against the Korean guy. His name's uh, Lee Dae-hoon. I knew he'd be coming up against him in a second match. And I kind of like wrote him off like he's not going to beat him. He's too good. And what do you know? The Jordanese guy won his first match and then he beat the Korean and then he beat this other guy. I can't remember who it was. And then he beat the Russian in the finals. So that Jordanese player actually went on to win the Olympics at 68. And I was his sparring partner uh, the months prior to it. And I was going, wow, you know, and I was thinking like, you know, but towards the end, there wasn't that much between us. Like he had a whole lot more experience, but there was some spars we had were really close. And, you know, um, I got a few nice shots and digs on him and I was going, you know, another four years, I could be beating this guy. And if he's the standard, you know, so I was really weighing it up and I was going, okay, I'm good enough to be here, but do I want to stay here for another four years and possibly waste four years? And I was really weighing that up. And uh, so I, th- I said to myself, I'd do it. I would stay another four years. And I was training. I was training through 2016. We came back early after the Olympics. And um, we were training away and very serious. I remember one day I woke up and I was going, I miss home. I miss family. They're talking about not letting me go home on weekends now. Like once a month, I might go home to see my family. But now they're on about me training on Saturdays. And then so I'd have to fly Saturday night and come home Sunday night, which means I basically get a day with my family once a month. And my wages had dropped as well because I had, I had, um, I had lost my recent tournament in Luxembourg. I got a bronze instead of a gold or silver. And I had problems at home with family members. So there was an awful lot of things pointing me to go home. And I just remember one day I was cycling to training and was going, I don't want to be here. And I cycled home. I rang up my trainer who wasn't at the gym at the time and said, I don't want to be here anymore. I want to go home. Uh, I want to go back to kickboxing. I want to spend time with my family. I want to spend time with my partner. Because at the time, my partner was like, you know, Tony, I'm I'm older than you. Um she Brita, she she was like, you know, I want to get on with my life. You know, I'm not going to sit around waiting for you to, you know, know whether you're going to stay or not or leave. Or I'm not going to wait for, until 2020 because I want kids. I want to see the world as well. I want to travel. So I completely understood that I was at, if I stayed in Manchester, I was at risk of losing someone I'd been with, you know, um, six years prior. You know, so it was um, it was tough, but it, I, I I came to the conclusion that I needed to leave. And looking back at it, the last year over in Manchester, I was very uh, unhappy. I was very like, I hate to use the word depressed, but I was, I wasn't seeing my family. I wasn't enjoying the sport. And looking back at the whole thing, I joined the sport, not for the reasons that you should join a sport. I I did Taekwondo, not because I love the sport. I did it because I wanted to go and win an Olympic gold medal and show off and be the big man. I didn't do it because I loved it. You know, if it was karate, I would have done karate. If it was Muay Thai, it would have been that. I would have done Muay Thai. I did it because I wanted a gold medal. And I think straight away, that was a shaky foundation from the start to go into the the sport. And um, it was only when I came home, I really realized what I was missing and how unhappy I was over there. And I really became, I really settled back into my sport and became happy again. 
And uh, yeah, and like I, I thought to myself, geez, I'm going to look back at this and I'm going to regret it, but I actually haven't regretted it once. In the four and a bit years, I think four years now, nearly four years I've been home, I haven't regretted it once. I'm really happy with the decision I made, you know? And that's, uh, that, that's an easy thing to say, which I thought wouldn't be in the position I am now looking back. But uh, yeah, that was, sorry for going off on a big rant, but that, that's, the, that's the whole mentality and the whole story of me doing Olympic Taekwondo and chasing the Olympic dream. Oh no, it was, uh, it was more than happy. It was a, a good story. It, uh, it is a good, it's good, like, I suppose good in parts. I suppose it, it maybe didn't end the way you had initially planned it. Like that, do you, do no. you regret it at all? Like, do you regret, I know you said you maybe don't regret coming home, but do you regret going in the first place that you chased? No, around no. I, I, I absolutely did not because if I didn't go, I would blame other people. Like if I didn't go because my girlfriend, I would have blamed her for not trying it. And I needed to go out there and see what my metal was, you know, see what my metal was worth, like how, like, and, and see if I could do it. I needed to go out there and I needed to fail. I needed to go out there into a bigger bubble and a bigger la- a bigger pond and see what I really am and can I be adaptable and can I learn? And I'd learned an awful lot and I improved a lot and I learned loads of really important life lessons. Um, and it definitely humbled me in a lot of other ways as well. And looking back at it, I would do and I would go at it again for all the lessons that I learned. Like I wouldn't like if I if I had a time machine and go back, I wouldn't try and steer myself away from it because it was absolutely necessary for my growth. You know, uh, it was absolutely necessary to improve and 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 develop. And you know, it's it's like that college student that comes out of college and they can go straight into work and live in the bubble, or they can go out, take a year out, and go and travel and see the world and learn what it is to be an adult and a functioning adult and, and, and take the shit job and, and, uh, you know, go out with the shitty girlfriend or whatever it is, you know, they, they go out there and they, they take, they, they pay their dues. And I felt like I paid my dues when I went over there and, um, I struggled, but it made me a better person for it. Yeah. And did you, have you found, did you find it hard coming back from a sport where, like you said, you were, you were being paid to train and, you had all the best facilities, you had a sports psychologist, a nutritionist, all this sort of stuff to coming back to. It's completely unfunded then in kickboxing. You're having to, you know, it's, you want to be professional, but it's a lot harder to be when you don't have a lot of the supports that you would have had in the GB Taekwondo. Like GB Taekwondo are really supportive and they're really good, but it was like this thing, especially amongst the male competitors, it was like this thing where if you started complaining that you thought you're overtraining or you're too tired, you were seen as like, a whinger like there was no like everyone was feeling it. everyone was feeling tired and there were days when you just didn't want to train like and like you'd get nothing out of yourself you're beating a dead horse but you still had to train anyway and no one kind of was like i need a day off like i i need to relax not many people were doing that and if you were seen to do that or do it too much you were like you know this guy's a pussy he doesn't want to be here you know and that was the attitude like it was like you know you either want to be here you don't more was always better more was always better and there were definitely rewards for the guys who were doing well but there was nothing for guys who who didn't bring back the medals like so i remember like i i remember going there was a fella now i'm not going to name names but there was people at the lighter division than me and they weren't going to rio either and we were going to our training camp and career and i remember going oh you know I need to pick up more points if I want to go to this um, European qualifiers or whatever it is. And I want to, I want to get money for this. And, um, um, and they were like, no, it's not going to happen. You know, uh, we're not going to fund you or, or you have to pay it yourself. I'm going, fuck's sake, I can't afford that. And I can't pay for this and go home. 
and go to these tournaments. And there was, I think there was two tournaments at the very end before I left that I actually paid for out my own pocket to go because I was desperate to try and pick up Olympic qualifying points. And they were saying, look, we can't fund you. We can't fund you. But then this other fighter who was sick a day before we were all to go to Korea, they flew him out to Korea a day later and they flew him first class, which is like a first class flight from London to Korea is like thousands of euros. So you're talking like 4,000, maybe 3,000 pounds uh, to fly first class. And I'm going, you're telling me you can't afford me to go to this yeah so like there was a lot of that and there was a lot of like there were there was a there was a lot of biases that i didn't appreciate as well and um you know they definitely had their favorites and i can understand why they did but you know it definitely got on my nerves and then seeing that and then going home and then going back to those people like i spoke about earlier like my dad like my coach who have been with you since the start who who support you in other ways than just money. It was, it was a breath of fresh air. And it was knowing that no matter how much I failed or got it wrong, I wasn't going to get punished. I wasn't going to lose money. I wasn't going to, you know, I wasn't not going to go to this tournament or that, you know, if it was, if that meant more to me than, than what I was getting in Manchester, you know? And so when you came back then from, from Manchester, did you take any time away from training uh, just to be with family or did you get straight back into kickboxing again? I took about two weeks off. Uh, I didn't do anything. Just I, I just spent time with my family. Um, started like making a future um, with myself and my partner Brida. Um, you know, we we'd been together for so long prior to that, and we had a long four-year long-distance relationship going. So it, we our deny our dynamic was going to change hugely in the next few weeks. So like I really worked on that, and yeah, I spent time with my family and. Like I had to, I had to, I had to work on a few things with my family as well for reasons. That's why oh, another reason why I had to leave Manchester. But like, um, uh, you know, I definitely took a bit of time off, and then I went back into it. But I went back into it at my own, my own pace, and I, I came back in with a mentality where I'm not training for anything. I'm enjoying training. I'm, I'm just doing it because I love it, and um, I haven't had that feeling. I hadn't had, I haven't had that feeling in a while. So it was, it was a breath of fresh air to, to to uh to go through you know and um yeah so two weeks off and then i went back into yeah, at my own pace yes like that when you, when you got back did it was there a kind of maybe a moment where you went uh this is what i've been missing yeah it was it was it was the atmosphere of the club my family it was uh, the support behind me back home and um uh, yeah it was it was those it was those um things that I really missed and it, it was only when I got perspective and saw how happy I was when I came back to Ireland that I realized okay you know I wasn't right over there I wasn't really happy I, I was I wasn't all you know I was probably a little bit depressed you know um, just missing home also living in Manchester I don't like Manchester <laughs> like I was born in Manchester myself but I don't like it I, I love I love the nightlife and that uh, but I miss not seeing the ocean and the sea every day like I live in West Cork so you know, it's really, really nice and scenic down here. And every time I come home, I'm like, oh man, like I miss, I miss, I, I miss this so much. And the, I realized how beautiful a little spot in West Cork, you know, like where I live is. And, you know, I really appreciate it all the more now. Yeah. There's, and there's a, there's a different air in, in Ireland. I always find it when you get off the plane and you're hit with that air and yeah. it, you could only have came from England, which you'd expect it's the <laughs> same, but, but it's not. <laughs> 
Well, one thing one thing I noticed is uh, when I was in Manchester, I weird, weirdest thing is I can only ever breathe through one nostril at a time. I can only I don't know what it is, but I can only ever breathe through one nostril at a time. But when I was in the UK, I could breathe through both. But um, when I come to Ireland, then it, and especially when I haven't been away, uh, been in Ireland in a while, like my eyes are itchy, my nose is blocked up, and it's from the pollen. And there's way more flowers, there's way more trees, there's way more like just uh, nature over here, you know, uh, in Ireland and proper salt air. And you know, it's you know, it's how it should be, you know. And I don't mind having a bit of a blocked nose if I want to, you know, if, if for living in in West Cork. But geez. Um, going back to Manchester then it was just smoke and cars and you know um, highways and buildings and stuff you know and I remember, I remember you know walking past this fella and he was he was playing with his daughter out in a car park right outside his flats you know and he had to stay with her he couldn't leave her on her own you know out in Manchester to play in the car park you know there's no chance you could do that you know but in you know, if you live in West Cork, you know, there's a park down the road or there's a garden somewhere or there's a friends down the road or, you know, it's a lot safer. It's a lot, it's just a lot quieter, a lot more uh, relaxed, you know? Yeah. So, so some of the stuff you maybe don't think of at the time and it's like when you're only in one place, like when you're just in West Cork, you maybe would have taken that, I suppose, maybe for granted. It's only when you see another environment that you realize is that, that that park there, isn't that, isn't that great to have? Yeah, 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 absolutely, absolutely, yeah. Like, I just miss not, I miss seeing the ocean every day when I was over there. Yeah, and uh, so then, what was the first major champion, major ta- championships you came back for in kickboxing? Uh, I did, uh, I don't think I fought in 2016, did I? I fought, I fought in 2017, I did, I lost to Adam Shelley um, in light contact, but I qualified in low kick and I got a bronze out there, um, out there in the world. And then I went out to 2018, where's 2018? 2018, I think was Slovenia. And I got a bronze out there in continuous again. So I got two bronzes, uh, European and world, uh, not the result I wanted. And, um, you know, I took a step back going, okay, what am I doing wrong and what's going on? And, um, you know, like I definitely learned a lot of good things from doing Olympic Taekwondo, but um, my hands weren't firing properly. And, um, you know, there was a big question of, oh, my, is my style relevant? And, you know, can I can I still win? So like 2019 was a big year. Um, I upped my training, but I trained smarter as well. So I didn't overdo it. I didn't allow myself to be injured before going out there or overtraining. So it was, it was really smart how I did my training and approach. And then 2019, um, I won gold, so I had five fights over there. Um, I beat a Russian guy that was pretty much our one guy. He one guy, one other guy beat him once the year before, but pretty much everyone else, I think that Russian guy steamrolled through or beat or beat pretty closely. Like he, I, th- I think he beat Adam Shelley um, twice, but they were both very close. And even the last one, I thought Adam nicked it. But he was the guy to beat. And I remember going out there and fighting him. And it was like the visualization I spoke about before. I imagined myself fighting him so many times prior in my shadow boxing that when I went actually out there and fought him, he definitely underestimated me. But uh, uh, like I, uh, I matched his intensity and um, I just outscored him. But I f- it felt really natural and comfortable in there, you know. It didn't feel like he overpressured me. Everything worked. And it was probably my, one of my best fights I ever fought. Yeah, I've seen. 
I've seen the the Russian guy like that. I've watched a couple of his fights with Adam, and I've seen a couple of his other fights, and the intensity he does bring is is is, is quite high, especially across the three rounds and in the smaller ring. Yeah, like now saying that though, I think two years ago when he fought Adam, he was much fitter and stronger. Like I was looking at him two years ago and was going, he doesn't stop. There's no off button on this guy. Um, like he's not like he's not smart, really smart. I would say he just goes forward. He goes forward and overwhelms you, he smothers you. And um, there was he definitely had more to him. I think two years ago, and I think I I remember saying this to Adam. I said I think he's on it. I think he's on the stuff. I think he's he's got another you know, 20, 30% in him than me or you have. And I'm going like, he's definitely on something and it can't just be altitude training or whatever the, the Russians claim to that he's doing. You know, like, I don't believe that. So I remember him go, thinking like he must be on something like, cause I, I have never seen anyone be that fit and that strong over three rounds before and um, give Adam such a hard time. And uh, yeah, even a few people have said to me, like he looks like whatever he was on, he's off because he seemed a little bit flatter with me. But in my fight against him, I remember someone saying, oh, you know, he just comes at you really fast, but he doesn't hit you really hard. And going, what? He doesn't hit really hard? Okay. And I remember he hit me in the first round and going, oh, you guys lied to me. That really hurt. <laughs> um, and then, uh, um, no, what my tactic was with him was match his intensity with my hands. So no matter what, just throw with him. Just throw hands with him. Um, and... On the way in and out, get your head kick, get your body kick, get something on the way in and out, but matches intensity. Don't be bag. Anyway, carry on. What I was saying was, um, uh, I remember like just kind of matching him for intensity on punches and then finishing with a head or a kick, uh, a, a kick to the head or the body, and um, um, and then what was it? Yeah, I remember at one point um, he was he was fighting me or whatever. And I, I said to Ian in this, I think it was going into the second round was, okay, I'm getting tired now. So I might just tuck up and I just, I just completely shut shop and not, I didn't let, let him have anything. And he just hit my guard with like 12 or 13 punches. And I remember him stepping back and I remember just glancing over at the scoreboard going, he got nothing for that as he should. And I just remember this puzzled look on his face and I'm thinking, Oh, I have you now. I know what it is. So it was when I was tired, I tucked up. And I threw shots when I thought it was open. And at other times then I matched his intensity. Uh, and then I got, obviously got my head kick. And then in the third round, he was a little bit more desperate and coming forward. And he would kick, 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 kick. But then there was a big drop between his leg and his hands. And when he'd come in with his hands, there was a little bit of a gap. And I found that gap with a backhand. So I think I remember Ian in the third round, all he was saying to me was, when that gap is there, just throw everything you have into it and rock him and I remember in the third round I threw this really hard backhand and right down the middle and he walked onto it as well and I just remember the look, the look of shock on his face and I was thinking I have this guy now I have him figured out tactically and I have him nervous and doubting himself and even at the end uh, of the fight when we were in the clinch he was talking in Russian to me it was really weird he was um I don't know what he was saying, but I remember in the clinch, I twisted and I got him with an uppercut. And I remember he said something. I was like, oh, we got a response there, which is unusual for the Russians. So I just remember giving him a few more of those. And yet the fight ended with him kind of disheartened and me like really fired up and wanting more, even though I, I really didn't. I was just pretending. Um, but um, no, it was, it was one of those fights I stepped out of going, I don't remember a thing really what happened. I remember people telling me what happened in it. 
but I, I kind of remember the feeling, but I don't remember that like the, the, all the the pieces aren't there, you know. And even when I'm looking at the fight afterwards, I'm kind of going, I don't remember any of this, <laughs> you know. It was one of those fights where it was just in the flow, and I put it down to the visualization and um, just the pure enjoyment and, um, and the buzz I got off it, you know. And so, did it hit you? Did it hit you straight away that you're world champion, or did it take you a couple of moments after to kind of realize that, yeah, I'm after, geez, I'm after winning, I'm after beating that guy, and not only did I beat him, I'm now world champion as well. Uh, well, I actually didn't beat the Russian in the final. I beat him in my second match. Uh, it was the Italian I fought in the final, but um, I won on a single point with that. Um, that fight was crazy as well. He was like he was like the Russian, but he fought Southpaw. He was a bit tricky in places. Um, and I definitely figured him out towards the end, but I managed to keep my lead throughout the fight. And um, I think, yeah, at the end I won on a single point. And I was so tired. I remember keeling over, and um, I, I didn't know I'd won because we couldn't see the scoreboards, but everyone else could. I didn't know I had won until Ian, my coach, ran onto the mat and gave me a big hug. But I remember I was so tired I couldn't even stand up. And I remember him just like kind of picking my head up and going, pick your fucking head up now. Come on, you're a world champion. Stand up. And I'm like, oh, yes, coach. <laughs> just like, oh yeah, I, I won. So I wasn't like immediately jumping for joy. I was just more like, it's over. I'm trying to catch my breath. I'm feeling a bit dizzy. Um, it was it was the 30, 40 seconds afterwards. I was like, yes, I'd done it. I'm so happy. And, you know, and come, to come back after 10 years and win it again, you know, and maybe prove the naysayers wrong. It was very, very satisfying. Yeah. And quite, quite, I suppose, a roller coaster of, of 10 years as well, like a, a, a time in another sport and coming back. And, you know, so there was a lot that happened in that 10 years as well. Yeah. Oh, man, I'm looking forward to the next 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> so with that, is, is, the plan to, is the plan to stay in kickboxing or no, the fact that you've taken up jiu-jitsu? Yeah, or, like I've, um, like uh, uh, things are different for me now. I've got a, I've got a little bab at home. You know, I might have another one, maybe. Um, you know, um, I'm enjoying being a dad, but I'm definitely enjoying my training. Um, I'm gonna, I'm not always gonna fight. I know that. Like, I'm, I'm always gonna be looking to fight no matter what because I enjoy it too much. Uh, I don't know how, to what extent, that is really. Um, you know, but I, like all I'll say is I definitely want to keep fighting kickboxing. Um, I don't know how seriously I'm gonna be able to take it now, being a family man. But like I said, you know, I just enjoy fighting too much. Yeah, do you, do you feel like you're do you feel like you're a bit one of the older ones in kickboxing now? Um, Definitely, yeah. I'm training now with the elite team in our club, and I'm a good ugh, ten years older than some of them. You know, maybe you know, maybe fifteen years older than some of them. It's it's weird. Like I remember one day myself and Lily. There's only a three year age gap between myself and Lily, and you know, the next person below that then was I think fourteen, fifteen. And myself and Lily were looking at each other one day and going. This is weird, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, I've definitely been in that situation, and um, in my in my own club in my club in in Shannon, the there's always a couple of people you can train with that are at somewhere at the same level. But the, those faces have changed quite a lot since when I started to maybe who I'm training mostly with now, and even on the national team, like it comes to like this time for this year for the European Championships, they were cancelled, but I was the oldest senior male, so. Uh, like that at 25 it's weird so, isn't it you know, it's 25 looking around being the older guy it's, it's it's weird like yeah definitely yeah you feel you feel uh, it's harder to feel more part of the team when you're the oldest one like whereas if you're younger or somewhere in the middle you know 
you know, but it's weird once you step out of that and you're the oldest person I find it's it's just a bit uh, it's just different mentality you know um yeah yeah it's 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 definitely a weird feeling all right yeah I remember it because even on the back of the 2017 Worlds that run in Ireland and a lot of the guys who I would have came through like like that Adam Adam Shelley and even I suppose Ryan and a couple of the other guys they all kind of stepped away and went doing other things and I was still there and you're kind of going well the group of people I was nearly doing all this I was doing this with are, are gone so then it's like well I'm one of the oldest people and all the people who are around the same age as me are, are now gone and it, it kind of changes the d- dynamic but uh, I suppose it's just something else you have to kind of learn to get on with yeah and, and that must have been a that must have been a lonely feeling when, you know, the Shelleys and Colm Carroll left all at once. It must have been, like, really weird for the, not just you, but the whole team. Like, you know, it must have been weird. Because I remember that feeling on the senior team when I was the youngest at one point, And a few of them just didn't show up for the Nationals next year. And they're doing their own thing. And they're being parents. So they're following careers. It's, it's, it's weird. Like, it's weird it's sad it's a sad you know it's a it's 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 a shame because i think if there was more for them in their sport like if it was olympic recognizer there was funding i think people would stay longer you know but um nothing's for them really you know that's a big reason why people transition from the sport they use it as a stepping stone which is such a shame people use it as a stepping stone like i did to go into taekwondo or to go into mma you know when they don't stick around and uh, very few of the champions remain to stay and be continuous champions over many, many years, you know? Yeah. And I think that's the challenge that goes with that is the fact that you have to fund yourself all the time. That if you were, if you had the opportunity to maybe at least have your, your costs covered to go to these tournaments, um, it would entice people to stay. But when it's, you're always at a loss like time and time again, it can be harder to stay when you have, I suppose, things like, you go and you can make the Olympic team and you're you're maybe pulling some bit of a wage or you go to MMA and professional and you can fight and potentially earn money if if you if you're good enough, I suppose. But uh in our sports unfortunately it's you're always at a at a loss to, to go to these tournaments. Hmm. Yeah, it's it's also the recognition that goes along with that. Like that was the main thing. Like I, I didn't go into Olympic Taekwondo for money. Like I went in for recognition, but there's no they we're better now with social media, like the way people do it. And people know a lot more of the sporting achievements of people like us in our sports, you know, um, because, because, you know, it gets shared around so much, but you know, 2009, there was none of that, you know? So, you know, if you won something like that, you might get in the local paper, but, um, um, it's, it's a bit different now. There's definitely more out there, a little, a little bit more out there than there was 10 years ago, but it's still not much. Um, and it's recognition and it's money and you know until until it gets until kickboxing or um, something similar goes into the Olympics where we can transition into well and fight well and you know we might not get that funding you know did you find like you said did you find maybe after you won in 2009 you were expecting some sort of uh, I suppose some recognition to some degree and that maybe the things like might be a little bit different to you might be treated a little bit different or like a, a bit, bigger deal will be made. But come 2019, did you kind of, was there a different sense of achievement on that? Did it feel maybe more like a, a personal achievement or like you'd done it for complete, you know, a bit more of a, maybe a different sense of achievement winning when you were older and you had the experiences that maybe you did when you won in 2009? Um, so yeah, like, um, I suppose like in 2000 and, 2009 when I won and I didn't get recognition 
my reaction was very childish, you know, like I explained, like, I was like, I'm going to show you guys and, you know, and, you know, I, I wanted that recognition. I, like, it's like a, it's not like compared to like some teenager who doesn't know what they're doing on social media, just looking for a bit of attention. But then I think when I won it, the age it was, um, la- well, last year in October, sorry. Um, it was different. I did it for me. I didn't care too much about, uh what people thought i guess it was pride for my club and for my country and it was to prove that i could do it again it just felt it meant more to me like um like more below the surface i think i think 2009 i wanted that appreciation on the surface but 2019 when i won it just the appreciation was a lot lower like a lot like deeper like below the surface it was um I knew I wasn't going to get a whole lot of recognition, but it, I didn't care. Like, I, I didn't care. My mentality had changed by then. I'd been so, through so much uh, with GP Taekwondo, um, and it just it just felt more right. And it, I, I, won, I remember in 2009, I won, and Ian turned around and went, you're a man now. You, and I, I remember kind of going, I don't believe you. <laughs> I, I don't believe you. I still feel like too much like a kid. And then 2019, I was like, no, this was the year where I feel more like a man. I felt like this was a, <clears throat> a man's victory, an adult victory, a more humbled and appreciative victory. Um, and it was justified. And I didn't go out my way to look for recognition. I was happy with what I got. I knew I did myself proud and Ian proud and the club proud. And that was enough. And um, yeah, it's, it sounds a bit corny, but it's like inner peace, you know, it's more like, no zen <laughs> yeah no i definitely had uh, something similar uh, i won the european championships in 2015 and it was kind of i don't really know what i would have expected but like it was kind of you realize that you're kind of you're back in your club the following week and it's it's you know it's it's like it's kind of like life goes on to some degree like everything is back the way it was the week before to some degree and you kind of go well it's maybe feels a little bit hollow i suppose or maybe not what you, what you would have expected but by the time I won the Worlds and in 2017, and with that, I kind of had much more of a, like you said, it was more like a, a self-validation kind of thing, just more like a or self-satisfaction that maybe, you know, 15 years at the time, it would have been a work and pushing towards it, a, a dream nearly that I had achieved that. It felt like it was much more like a, a self thing that it wasn't about, you know, I didn't care if anything, you know, I didn't expect anything to change. I knew that I was going to be back in the club that next week, but it still felt like... I had achieved what I'd set out to achieve. Yeah, it's um, it's it's like it's not. It it feels like you're. Um, I definitely know where you're coming from, and for me, it's like uh, controlling the ego. It's controlling the ego, seeing the brighter, wider picture, and like I think if you go down that road of trying to validate yourself by what other people think of you, it's very easy to go down that road of like flipping that as well like i i where i think of that is um you know i like you could you can think this way like okay i see joy in my success by what other people think of me which i think isn't a great place to have joy in the first place and then the opposite side to that like if if you're one of those people that think that way it's very easy to take joy in other people who fail um and i think that's also really horrible like you know it's very easy to like let yourself get twisted into that mentality whereas if you're like okay i'm happy because i'm doing what i love uh i'm improving all the time and i know i'm improving all the time and 
no matter what the outcome, I'm still enjoying the performance. I think that's when you're like a real, I think that's a real credible part of a good martial artist. Whereas if you're someone who has to feed off what other people think and, and say, and, and I think, I think it's a slippery slope. And I think, you know, one day you're on top of the world. It's like a drug, you know, you're on top of the world. You won, you're, you're what people talk about and think about maybe, but then you lose. And then what, what do you think about yourself then? If everyone thought this about you when you won, what do people think about you then consequently when you've lost and you, underperformed it's a very shaky place to to place your happiness and your um your 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 very self-worth you know uh and it's something that you know kids can fall into uh very very easily very very easily and like you know one person pointed out to me it's like the kid who paints the really good picture you know like okay they they, they paint that they paint a really good picture at home and the parent goes, wow, that's so good. I'm so proud of you for painting that picture. I love you for painting that picture. And next thing I put it on the fridge and the kid goes, wow, I'm good to this person because of what I did, not because of who I am. So they value themselves from their parents on what they do, how good I am, how what I win, what I, how much I earn, blah, 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 stuff like this. Whereas if like, you know, the parent puts it aside and goes, yeah, this is, this is amazing. I love you for you and I appreciate you for you. And if you have that mentality, then it won't ever be just about winning. It'll be about you know, becoming better and sharing the happiness of being in a sport like martial arts. Yeah. I want to like that. I try to nearly think myself in something I kind of, I suppose, realize through winning and losing. Nobody gives a shit when you win and nobody gives a shit when you lose. It's kind of, you know, like I what like like that. Your parents, like your family, are still your family. Your mates are still your mates, and they're not going to be. Nobody's going to lose any sleep over the fact you lost, but they also won't lose any sleep when you win. And you know, yeah. when you do, so when you do it for yourself, and like you said, for the enjoyment that you're doing it, that it changes the mindset. Then, like you don't have it. You don't. Yeah, it does. Like and uh, you know, like if you lose, you're probably thinking, "Oh God, what do they think of me now when I've lost?" And you know, and the. Uh, in all honesty, people are more selfish than you think. They're not thinking about you all the time. They're not thinking about your last fight. And, you know, yeah. they might comment once on it, but they're not, it's not going to consume their whole day, their thoughts all day, you know, and they're going to move on and be thinking about themselves. So it's like just, you know, it's, it's that detachment from things that don't matter and focusing on things you can control, you know? Yeah, 100%. So uh, before we finish up, if you had to, if you had to pick a, a favorite fighter, it doesn't necessarily have to be a kickboxer. It could be across any sport. But if you had to pick a favorite fighter, who would you pick? Somebody who you would turn on to watch. If you had to pick somebody to watch, who would you pick? I have a lot of favorite fighters. Uh, don't know. Off the top of my head. Um, there's a lot of people that come to mind. There's one fighter I think I love most that... Uh, my brother Dom, I think my brother Dom, uh, because he has a really good way of seeing fights and the way he performs and the way he is is the way he is always. He's always like he, what, what I'm trying to say is about my brother Dom when he when he fights when he doesn't fight, he's the same. He's the same person. He's someone that doesn't seem to let any of the the event or atmosphere ever get to him. He seems very impenetrable and he's the funniest person I know. And like, if I was to have anyone that I'd want to go to competition with and share a day out and compete with, it'd be my brother Dom. He's the first person I think of, and he's not the best fighter in the world and the best boxer in the world. He knows that. In terms of skill, 
I think there's people out there like Adam Shelley who are just unbelievable. I think Desi Leonard in his prime was amazing. I think uh, Katya Solovey from ITF Taekwondo I think is amazing. And you know, there's there's loads of them. It's very hard to pinpoint one. It's a hard question, you know. But uh, the first person that sprang to my mind was Dom, and that's for personal reasons, not for anything on skill or tactics mainly. It's just the person I know and how he is on the mats and off the mats. And uh, to me, a fighter isn't a good fighter isn't just someone winning medals all the time. It's it's their lifestyle, it's their attitude, it's what they bring, it's what they they they, they inspire in other people. So the first person I think about is people with Dom. Nice. Very, like you said, a very personal one. I've had we've had quite a mix, but it's probably uh, it's probably one of the most part the, the most personal one we've had so far. But uh, so. <laughs> cool. So uh, yeah, I think like that. We'll, I think we'll wrap it up there. And um, thanks, Emilio, for cool. coming on. Thanks, I really Jamie. enjoyed the chat. Really enjoyed hearing your story and your journey. Like you, you, you've done quite a lot to this point, and maybe it'll continue. Thank you, thank you, and all the best to you as well. Hope you're good, and uh, hope you keep fighting, and you know your club and everyone around you is safe and sound, and. I um, hope to see you in person for uh, uh, well hope to see you in person sometime yeah for sure for sure so take care all the best take care thanks thanks Jamie bye